Well, good morning again. We keep we keep saying it because we mean it. You're so welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, Josh, throw up the 10-minute party graphic again there, will you? So we've been chatting the last couple of weeks about how to graphically represent the 10-minute party, you know. And um, so we, we, we decided to just put a big photograph of the biggest party animal in our community on the screen. So that's why we have a photo of Brian. If you don't know Brian, Brian loves the party. Is Brian still in here? Where is Brian? No, he's left. He went home? Wow. He heard maybe I was talking about him and decided, saw that I'm leaving. Um, so I want you to do something for me. Take your phone out. If you've got a phone near you, take your phone out, wave it at me. Wave your phone at me. Everybody get your phone out. Right, here's what I want you to do. If you're sitting beside someone that you know, or if you don't know them but you think they look trustworthy, I just want you to give them your phone, okay? So if you're sitting beside somebody, you know, swap phones with somebody. If the person you're sitting beside looks really dodgy, just put your phone under your seat, okay? And do it subtly so that they don't know that you think they look dodgy, right? So if you're sitting beside someone, you don't want to trust them with your phone, just put it under your seat, okay? Make sure the screens are locked. Are we all there? We've all done it? We're good? I'm not going to ask you to look at their phone, okay? So just take their phone, put it in your pocket, put it somewhere. I will be asking later for you to give it back, but if you just got an upgrade, feel free to sneak out, say nothing. (laughs) Um, What time is it? Right, 13 minutes past 12, remember that, right? 12, 13, actually it's terrible, you won't remember. Pete, 12, 13, remember 12, 13, okay. No, that's cool, just remember 12, 13, that's all I need you to remember. We're going to come back to that later, okay. Um, if you are a guest or a visitor, and I know we have lots of uh, visitors in the room, if you have small people with you, feel totally at ease. It's uh, almost, I always want to say it's impossible for, for me to be distracted. It's not impossible, it almost is. I've... Uh, four-year-old twin boys and six-year-old daughter, and uh, I've now got to that stage that used to blow my mind when I watched parents do that. Any of you that don't have parents or, know, or don't have kids will know what I'm talking about, and so those of you who have small kids. I used to look at people before I had children that had small kids, and you'd be trying to have a conversation whilst like World War III was going on around their knee, and they were able to keep talking. And not being someone at that stage who had kids, I was always like, I am so, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I, can't, I can't do it, I'm out. Um, now, thankfully, I have small kids, and so if you, if you are in the room with, with little people, uh, we aren't a community that tries to be neat and tidy and never interrupted. We're not a community where we're going to tell your little ones to be quiet. We love that they're in here. We love that uh, church has a metaphor in the scriptures of family, and families are typically messy. And so um, we hope you feel at ease and don't worry if they get a little unsettled or a little bit noisy. Uh, So we've been talking about this idea of a brave new you since Easter Sunday. Chatting with a friend this week and uh, he said to me, what are you you talking about in church at the minute? And I said, oh, we're doing this series called Brave New You. And he said, that sounds like an Oprah show. And uh, (laughs) I was like, yeah, it kind of does. I didn't didn't see that. what this isn't, and what this series isn't, we're not talking about your best life now. We're not talking about like seven steps to like figuring everything out. 
That's not what this is. Um, on Easter Sunday, the original Easter Sunday, uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, that wasn't uh, the beginning of a new religion. It was God demonstrating to us that humanity, his idea for what humanity was supposed to be and look like, was now available to the world. And this series is about us stepping into a life of resurrection, learning how to be truly human, learning how to be truly present, and learning how to truly participate in what Jesus is doing in the world. Because of Easter, Jesus' forgiveness for our past and his freedom for our now and our future are available. And we've been talking about this idea that uh, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to see that the world is not as it perhaps should be. Yes, it's full of beauty, but it is equally full of pain and tragedy. And we only need to look at what's going on in Syria or closer to home in the courts and newspapers in Belfast over the last few weeks that the world is a bit broken. And one of the things that we can be uh, in danger of sometimes is just blaming it on everybody else and never actually taking time or moments to reflect personally on the parts of our own lives that maybe aren't what we long them to be. And the reality is because of Easter and because of Jesus, there is an invitation available to us to discover what our lives would look like were Jesus himself living them. And I don't know about you, but I'm very interested in that. And it matters because the Easter story is not just for us, it's not just for Christians, it's not just for those that would find themselves in a church gathering on a Sunday morning, it's for the entire world, it's for our city, it's for the communities that we live in and call home. And as we unfold our lives into this story, we change. And we've been talking over and over and over again about how transforming people transform cities, that the God story is actually about life and hope coming to the world. So what does it look like or require for us to partner with the Holy Spirit, to partner with God in becoming those kinds of people and living that kind of life? And last week we talked about the truth that the most spiritual thing in your life are your choices. That the most spiritual activity in your life is your your choices. It's not prayer, it's not Bible study, it's not church attendance. The most spiritual thing in your life is what you choose to order your life around and invest your life in. And the reality is your future is who you're becoming. The future of your family, the future of this city, the future of this weird little place called Northern Ireland, the future of our society and our culture is who we are becoming. And the important question for us to wrestle with is who we're becoming. What direction is my life going? What kind of person am I becoming? And the key to change and transformation in our lives, if like me, you're saying, do you know what, there are things in my life I wish were different. There are things I'd love to to change. There are things I feel like God is speaking to me about. The key to transformation is humility. The key, the doorway to change in our life is humility. And last week we defined humble people as those who never pretend those who never presume, and those who never push. 
that if we are to have the mindset, as we talked about last week, of Jesus, then that's a mindset of humility. And if we want to transform, we need to approach our life, order our life, choose the path of humility to stop pretending, to stop presuming, and to stop pushing our own agenda on to other people. I want us to move on this morning or take a next step and look at a a passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It's page 840 in your black Bibles. If you have a Bible close to you, why don't you go there, page 840. Some of you, this will be a very familiar text for you. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read, uh, start at verse 1. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So that you will not grow weary. And lose heart. Let's pray. Father we invite you to come and speak to us. Holy Spirit would you breathe life on these words. We want to encounter you. Hear from you and to be changed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you are aware of the term PSA? Now, I'm not talking to men above 50. It's something else. Some of you are like, what's he talking about? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So not that thing, another PSA. It's called phone separation anxiety. Any of you ever heard of this? Any of you experiencing it right now? Cold beads of sweat on your forehead? So the average person checks their phone once every 12 minutes. I think we're about seven minutes in, so it's maybe not quite itching you just yet, but you have another five or so minutes to go. A recent study in the States discovered some fairly interesting things. 31% of people felt instantly anxious when separated from their phones. I don't want to show of hands right now how many of you that is. I can tell by your faces. Some of you are struggling more than others with what I've done to you this morning. This is mad, right? 56% of people check their phones before they go to sleep. So it's literally the last thing they do at night is check their phone. Um, 61% of people sleep with their phone turned on and under their pillow or beside their bed. Now, if you're an under-the-pillow person, knock that off. It can start a fire. The last thing you want is 2 in the morning to be like, I smell smoke. What is that? My hair is on fire, right? So if you need it, set it aside. If that's all you've come for this morning, I will be grateful to have saved your life. 75% check their phones during the night. Like wake up in the middle of the night and just confirm that everyone else is asleep. (laughs) Right? Um, 77% of parents and teenagers argue about phone usage. Let's move on quickly there. I don't like that teenagers get a bad rap in here, so teenagers, I'm going to lump the rest of us in with this. But 50, in this particular survey, 50% of teenagers 
describe themselves as addicted to their phones. And the other 50% were lying. <laughs> it's harsh on teenagers, right? I, I think you could potentially argue that for most of us, eh? 75% admitted to having sent a text message whilst driving. And 26% of car accidents were found to be caused by phone usage. And that number is increasing every single year. Now, I know these are American statistics, but they don't sound too drastic in what I see around me and uh, in my own life, if I'm really honest. Having said all that, I better let you get your phones back. So just, just return the phones for a second, give the phone back, take it back from under the seat. If you're hoping for an upgrade, I'm really sorry. Try and sneakily do it. How many of you just checked your phone when you got it back there? How many of you did that unconsciously? Like it's, it's just been away for a minute or two. Pete, what was that? 12, 13? It's now 12.23, so that was 10 minutes, right? 10 minutes without your phone. Isn't that amazing? Like you're away from your phone for like just a couple of minutes and then you get it back and it is like unconscious. Nope, no one loves me. So here's the mad thing, right? These are just facts. Too much screen time decreases the quality of your sleep, decreases your ability to concentrate and increases your stress. So I want you to imagine, right, I, I came up with a multivitamin, right? I know that's going to take a leap for some of you. Just imagine I created my own multivitamin. And when I was trying to convince you to, to you know, take it, I said, take this multivitamin. It's going to decrease your quality of sleep. It's going to decrease your ability to concentrate. It's going to cause you some stress. Who's in? Right, you'd go, I'd get lost. And yet these are facts. We, we know this stuff about this. And yet, every 12 minutes, it's a bit, it's a little bit mad. This is what I want to focus on this morning. Um, our addiction to our phones and things like it, they decrease radically our ability to focus. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's a great idea. The reality is most of us can't fix our eyes on anything for longer than 12 minutes. In conversation, ever do this? this I'm going to say I do this, it drives my wife mad, you know. Deep in conversation and then something bings and you go, sorry, what were you saying? Just me? You can all just say, pretend it's just me, it'll make you feel better. I read a quote the other day that says this, we used to think of superpowers as the ability to fly or be invisible or have superhuman strength, but the real superpower in the 21st century will be the ability to focus. The thing that will give you an advantage over everyone else around you is your ability to focus. Any of you in a fairly competitive work environment, what will rocket you to the front of the queue in performance and bonuses is focus. Can you focus on something without being distracted for more than 
12 minutes. You see, we live in an age where we are chronically distracted and we are addicted to instant gratification. And both radically affect our ability to focus on the things that we say matter to us. This is going to blow some of you who are maybe under 15 in the room. It's going to blow your mind. But there used to be a day, right, when if you wanted to watch a movie, right, like if you wanted to watch a film at home, you had to get in the car and go to a shop. And it was called the video shop. And I grew up in a small town, and the video shop in the small town I grew up was called the Video Vault. Any of you remember the Video Vault in Tremor? And the Video Vault was tiny, right? And so if there was a new release coming out, you had to get there super early because there was usually only two or three of the latest release available. And if somebody else had got in before you, you're going to have to wait to the next week before you could have a go at that um, video. TV series used to literally come on once a week and you had to wait seven days before you got the next episode. Any of you do this? Maybe it's just me. You know those Netflix series that actually have started releasing themselves? Like every, Any of you like angry at Netflix for that? Just me? Like I can't actually start anymore. I, I wait till they're all out because it just seems so ridiculous that you would have to wait seven days before you would find out what happens next. And if for some reason the internet company that we use isn't working, well, I might have be on the verge of losing my mind. Never mind us. If we, this is crazy. So we have four-year-old twins and six-year-old girl, right? And uh, Netflix is their um, poison. And if there's something wrong with our internet and it's a little bit pixely, they lose their minds. Dad! What's wrong with the TV? Now, like, you can still see it perfectly. It's just not an HD. It's crazy. When we buy something, we... It's called a party for a reason. When we buy something, like, we expect it, like, the next day. Or maybe, you know, if we're going to be... If we're going to be really gracious to the company, right? Maybe 48 hours... And I had a push three days. One of the things that happens in our house often is uh, Dana forgets that Northern Ireland is uh, not mainland UK. And so she orders things from uh, ASOS that are supposed to arrive the next day. I know, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I did it in the first one and said you weren't here. Maybe you would leave it out, but I'm going to put it in. <laughs> and she travels for work. So if the thing is supposed to arrive on a certain day and it hasn't, I come down to like the most incredible argument on the phone with ASOS. But you said it would be here by... And they're like, yeah, but you live in Northern Ireland. But that's not what's on your website. And I'm like, darling, there's just, it's in the post. There's no way to hurry it up. Like, it's just, in fact, I was talking to a friend on Friday night who said, I will literally buy something of less quality if I can guarantee it's going to get here the next day. Isn't that amazing? And they're not unique. I absolutely do that, do that too. Any of you seen John Bishop's latest stand-up? Any of you know who John Bishop is? Liverpoolian comedian? Have you heard him talk about dating? So good. So any of you under 25, you should go and watch it. It'll blow your minds. Basically, he talks about there was a day when if you wanted to date someone, it literally started by you walking over to them and introducing yourself. (laughs) 
Like, can you, like, how crazy is that? Like, you can't do any research online. You can't go and look on their Facebook and see what they're interested in. You can't go and see if they've got weird friends and all that. You literally have to walk across the room and start a conversation. Chronically distracted and addicted to instant gratification. Why does this matter? You've heard me say before, there is no formation without repetition. That we don't get formed into any habit, any kind of person, any lifestyle, any of that kind of stuff without repeating things. So my question for you is, what do you think this habit is forming in you? The truth is, it is forming something. It is shaping how you think and interact and engage with the world around us. And why does any of this matter? Because I said earlier, the future of our city, the future of our families, the future of our communities is who we're becoming. And who we're becoming is directly related to the habits and patterns that we are repeating in our lives. My question for you this morning is, are those habits and patterns helping you? Are they helping you? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. So there's an invitation from God for us to learn how to live a truly beautiful life. To discover what his idea of being human really was. But some things get in the way and hold us back. And here's what for some of you Maybe a little bit of a head tilt this morning. Distraction is a much more powerful weapon in keeping you from the things of God than sin is. Distraction is a much more effective weapon at keeping you from discovering God's idea of what it means to be truly human than even sin is. I'm not saying that sin isn't important or doesn't matter. But the reality is when we're up to our neck in mess and brokenness that is damaging our lives and the relationships around us, most of us at least have some awareness that we're engaging in certain habits, patterns, or behaviors that we really should try and figure out and stop. But distraction is subtle and it's a bit sneaky. And it typically gets nowhere near as much attention as the dysfunctional habits and behaviors in our lives. You see, the dad that has anger and temper issues typically is being having that pointed out, usually by his spouse regularly. You need to do something about that. You need to talk to someone about that. You need to figure that out. But the dad who's just quietly parenting whilst being disengaged maybe doesn't even notice the effect it's having on those he loves. You see, it's distraction, I'm convinced, 
even more than sin that keeps us from fixing our eyes on Jesus and what he's inviting us into. How many of you have experienced this? Maybe recently, maybe 15 years ago, where something about Jesus, something about God, something about that whole world caught your attention and maybe even got you into it for a while. And then, hey, look, something over here. And oh, there's something shiny over there. And before we know it, we find ourselves and things going, well, I tried that Jesus thing for a while. It didn't really work for me. Well, the reality is we were just distracted into something else or someone else or some other way. Listen to the language of the writer of Hebrews. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. You see, when it comes to stuff that gets in the way in our lives, usually uh, we find ourselves praying these kinds of prayers. God, would you just change this? Would you make me different? God, remove this thing from my life. God, I want to stop this behavior. I want this other thing. Would you just help me go to bed tonight and not check my phone and wake up in the morning and be different? But the writer here is placing the responsibility for transformation somewhere else. Let us take off everything that hinders us. The responsibility is on us. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. How do we learn to focus in an age of distraction? How do we learn to commit to a path and not be drawn off into this thing or that thing or this way or that way? How do we learn to focus in an age of distraction? How do we learn to cultivate patience which is required in formation in an age of instant gratification? How do we do these things? Dealing with your phone addiction is potentially a good place to start. But I want to land somewhere slightly different this morning. I'm going to invite the band. Uh, why don't you come back up, guys? Psychologists have written extensively that you cannot think your way to changed behavior. You cannot think your way to changed behavior. But changing your behavior leads to changed thinking. And they're absolutely right. And it just so happened that Jesus said the same thing 2,000 odd years ago. It just takes a psychologist for us actually to believe that it's true. And we, we know this. We're seeing this playing out in response to everything that's been swirling around us, rugby at the moment. And the big cry from the culture is we need to educate guys that are playing rugby more. Except it won't change anything. There's not a smoker on the planet that's going to argue with you now that it's good for their health. Education doesn't change us. Yeah, it informs us, but it does not change us. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the sequence of that is really, really important. That it is by practicing the way of Jesus that we discover the truth of Jesus that leads us into the life of Jesus. 
It's why some of you that have listened to maybe sermons more than you'll, you'll ever need and have never found any sort of change in your life. Because it's not about the information. It's about what we're practicing. And it is as we focus on practicing the way of Jesus that we discover the truth. And that truth leads us into life. So what are you focused on? What are you focused on? What is your life ordered around? I'm not asking the question, what would you say your life is focused on? I'm asking you what it's actually focused on. Because confession, I would like to say that my life is focused on Jesus and the things of God. I'd like to say that my life is focused on loving my wife as well as I can and being as present with my kids as I possibly can. But you know what the reality is? If you came around me this week, you'd probably say, Andy, you seem to be focused on this quite a lot. You seem to give this more attention than these people you say matter most to you in the world. If we want to, I think, be really serious and I think we do in this community anyway, about joining in with Jesus and releasing his life and hope to every part of our city, every corner of our culture, that we never want to measure ourselves by how wonderful this moment is when we gather, but how effective we are out there, then we need to learn how to not be distracted and how to focus. And I think that comes as we choose to prioritize the way of Jesus as revealed in the Gospels. I have a good friend uh, who says this, truth believed will always leave you disappointed, but truth experienced will change your life. That if all we're trying to do is agree with a bunch of words, line up doctrine and dogma, and order our lives around, do you agree with my beliefs or do you not? And it always leaves us disappointed. But if you learn to focus on practicing the way of Jesus, we discover it's true and it leads us into life. That a life lived giving is actually better than getting. That forgiving those who hurt you will actually set you free. That Jesus was in fact who he said he was. And he did in fact do what he said he was going to do. And he now invites us to discover the truth of that life and what it means for everyone we care about and everywhere we go. So let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. In your gentle way, would you just put your finger on the things in our lives that are just a distraction, things that hinder us from engaging with your life and your love.
and sharing it with all those around us.